Hear now God's Word. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who, have, who came reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said, said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their, eyes they, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I began this series of sermons in the book of Acts, actually uh, April the 4th, 2021. We have taken some breaks along the way, but this is the 54th and final sermon from the book of Acts. And I do once again want to acknowledge my gratitude to my instructors, who are primarily John Stott, Derek Thomas, N.T. Wright, and R.C. Sproul. We started this series in the 24th chapter, actually, of the Gospel of Luke, the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, when the two disciples are on their way home from having witnessed his brutal crucifixion uh, and this man who had been their friend was now had now been laid in a tomb. We took a moment to visualize the fact that they were actually, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, were leaving an execution and a funeral. During the first part of this walk, the men are visibly depressed, not realizing that Jesus has been resurrected. They fully believe that he's died. They don't understand that he has risen, nor do they fully comprehend who this stranger is that has shown up on the, on the road with them. And, of course, this is a very sad and frightening walk. They're probably 
even anticipating their own arrest. Here's a bit of the account that Luke recorded. This is where we started this series in Luke 24, beginning in verse 15. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And so they were looking for Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the King, who was going to change everything, who was going to bring reformation to the world. And instead, he was dead, and all hope was lost. And then Jesus speaks and reveals some very profound words in the next few verses, verses 25 through 27 from Luke 24. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luther wrote this. He said, There are some who have little regard for the Old Testament. They think of it as a book that was given to the Jewish people only only, and is now out of date, containing only stories of past times. But Christ says in John 5, Search the Scriptures, for it is they that bear witness to me. The Scriptures of the Old Testament are not to be despised, but diligently read. Therefore, dismiss, at your, dismiss your own opinions and feelings, and think of the Scriptures as the loftiest, and the noblest of holy things as the richest of minds which can never be sufficiently explored in order that you may find that divine wisdom which God here lays before you in such simple guise as to quench all pride. Here you will find the swaddling clothes and the manger in which Christ lies. Simple and lowly are these swaddling clothes, but but dear is the treasure Christ Christ who lies in them. So he says the Old Testament is like the manger. It's where we find Christ first. And so we must never forget that the Old Testament is full of Christ. And it was aimed at us. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, Of this salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied, the Old Testament prophets, prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, the Old Testament prophets, was indicating when he, Christ, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, the Old Testament prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, 
they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The same angels who were there at creation are watching this story of redemption unfold from the Old Testament and now to the time of Christ. Even now, they're still watching and they want to see what comes next. It is essential to teach these disciples the Scriptures, the two that he's walking with on the road to Emmaus and then another group of disciples and then we're going to see in Jerusalem because scriptures, this, uh, because Scripture forms the context within which the recent shattering events in Jerusalem become intelligible. Luke's summary is offered in verse 26 of Luke, of Luke 24. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So Luke 24 leads us immediately into Acts chapter 1. Both are written by Luke. Acts is not only the continuation of a story, it is actually the story of the things Jesus did and the things that he continued to do after his resurrection. And so the work of Jesus began that he began to do in his earthly ministry continues because Jesus lives. In other words, it ain't over. He works and acts through his body, the church, and thus in the first chapter of Acts, one of the big historical questions is how in the world did the gospel spread And how did it do what it did? And how is it still doing what it's doing today? It's all about what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach after his resurrection and ascension. You see, Jesus is a living person who can be known and loved, obeyed and followed, a person who continues to act within this real world right now. That's what this book is all about. How is the world going to be turned upside down? How did it get this far? How did it last so long? And so we should see Acts as the continuation of Luke's gospel. During the 40-day period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, he opened their understanding, that is, the disciples who had gathered, that they might comprehend the Scriptures. All uh, all that Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms had spoken of him, and also the gospel. And so he is preparing them for the tremendous task that was going to be before them and, and, and really get kicked off on the day of Pentecost. God had told Abraham that he would bless the nations through him, Sarah, and Isaac. Pretty unbelievable. Now, Jesus tells a handful of disciples that he is going to bless the world through them. Impossible. The point of the resurrection itself is that without it, there is no gospel. There are no acts of the apostles or Jesus. There would only be, without the resurrection, the sad memory of a great but a failed teacher and a would-be Messiah. The resurrection of Jesus, of of the Jesus who died under the weight of the world's evil, is the foundation of God's new world whose opening scene Luke is describing. 
And it is critical that each of us remember we are still a part of this same story. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a, and they lived happily ever after. This is, the story continues. And we are the continuation of that story. Your children and your children's children are the continuation of that story. Next, Jesus intimates that the disciples, with their narrow reference to Israel, are too restrictive. Their view of the world is too narrow. The gospel of salvation is for all nations. Therefore, Jesus will now instruct them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 8, Acts 1. I believe that's the key verse. If I had to pick a verse in Acts, that would be the verse I would pick. Everything can always traces back to that. We're going to see that in this last chapter of Acts. Jesus mildly rebukes the disciples for their limited understanding of the extent of God's kingdom. He's teaching them that the Father is completely in control of the calendar of world events and that He will bring everything to its predetermined end. They would indeed begin in Jerusalem, that national capital in which Jesus had been condemned and crucified and in which they were not to leave before the Spirit came and fell upon them. They would continue immediately in that geographical area of Judea, but then the Christian mission would soon radiate out from that center in accordance with the ancient prophecy from Micah chapter 4, verse 2. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, first to the despised Samaria, and then far beyond Palestine to the Gentile nations, indeed to the ends of the earth. In fact, the whole interim period between Pentecost and the final resurrection and judgment is to be filled with worldwide, the worldwide mission of the church in the power of the Spirit. And so again, they were to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and to the very end of the age. We have no liberty, we have no liberty to stop until those ends have been fully reached. So the message would go off to the far reaches of the kingdom. Imagine, for instance, a new Roman emperor coming to the throne, and the heralds then would be sent out to Spain, to the west, Britain to the north, Egypt to the southeast, to announce that Claudius or Nero or whoever was now the rightful king and to demand glad allegiance from supposedly grateful subjects. And that is what Jesus is telling his disciples they need to do in regard to his kingship. Jesus gives the apostle the agenda. Jerusalem first, then Judea, that's the surrounding countryside, then Samaria, remember the hated foreigners living right next door, ring true today, and to the ends of the earth. And as we read through the book of Acts, that's exactly the journey that we have been on have been on quite a journey with Paul, right? We've uh, traveled, um, and and now we've we've got a shipwreck, and now we land in Rome, and so here we are. And so as we read through this, we should remember that we don't have time today to stop at every point we visited in this journey, but there have been many, and they have been varied. 
The book of Acts covers about 35 years of the church, which, by the way, is just 10 more years than how long this church has been in existence. A lot has happened. So, Rome at last. And now, having journeyed through the book, we come to the last half of the last chapter. In some ways, Rome was the end of the earth, Acts 1.8, right? Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in another way, Rome was the gateway to the whole world. It was the hub. All roads lead to Rome, which means all roads lead from Rome. The mission Jesus had laid out extended then all the way to the edges. And so as Paul arrives in Rome, he's under sort of a house arrest where he's free to invite others to come to him, which he immediately does within three days. Remember, it wasn't that long ago he was shipwrecked on Malta. And now you imagine what, how, how exhausting this journey must have been. That would be a gross understatement, right? But he's not there three days. He's there three days and he's already inviting guests over to his house. I guess there's a hospitality sermon there somewhere. So, he's a man on a mission. He has no time to waste, so he starts where he usually starts. He invites the Jewish leaders to come hear him. <coughs> Excuse me. It's estimated that Rome had a Jewish population of a, somewhere around 35,000, about the population of Nacogdoches. And so that's how many Jews were there. Paul, they didn't all come to his house, but the leader, some of the leaders came. And he was eager not only to defend himself preemptively, but also to present the gospel to his brethren in the flesh. I think there are two key verses in this last chapter of Acts that I want to focus on that I think will help us tie the book of Acts together with the first. Uh, and the first verse is verse 23, where we are told, He explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus. How did he do that? See if this sounds familiar. He, expl- he persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. In other words, Paul did what Jesus did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, what Jesus did in Acts 1 with the gathered disciples, and what we have seen repeatedly done throughout the book of Acts. And Paul's interaction with the Jewish leaders on the place of Jesus in the Old Testament took a while. It went from morning to evening. He had a lot to say. He explained. He testified. He persuaded. And as he declared to them in verse 20, in summary, Jesus is the hope of Israel. This is who you've been looking for. This is who you were told was going to come. This is him. And here's the evidence. Paul did what Jesus had done again with his disciples in Jerusalem in Luke 24. After he was with the two on the road to Emmaus and he met with the disciples, Luke 24, 45 through 47, then Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. So we have this teaching occasion, Jesus with his disciples. We're going to see it again in Acts 1. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, 
and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Whatever else the Old Testament may be talking about, if we fail to see the promise of Jesus the Messiah, then we have missed the point of it all. Christ the King, who was promised in the Old Testament Scriptures, came to rule over his people and to make his enemies his footstool. Psalm 110. He intends to rule over the nations. Psalm 2.8. As usual, when Paul had finished his long teaching and interaction, the crowd was divided. Verse 24 and 25, Acts 28. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken. Remember remember in Acts 17 when he's at the Areopagus? Some believed. Some said, some sneered. Some said, we'll hear you again. Well, here... Some dis, some believed, some disbelieved. So uh, so when they did not agree among themselves, so then they did not agree among themselves. Paul says, "Well, I have one last thing to say to you." Mary speaking to Jews, those who have known the Old Testament, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter six, verses nine nine and ten. Go to this people and say, "Hearing you will hear." And shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. This is a text that was presented to the Jews in the preaching of Jesus, as seen in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and John 12. Isaiah had been sent, you'll recall, to proclaim a message that the people would not accept. So Paul told them as they departed, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So let me wrap this up and tie it together here as we close this book. The apostles were given a commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. The church has been sent on the same mission. We do so under the same authority and the same direction of our Savior, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And as Peter declared, on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured this out, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool, your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to proclaim the good news in Jerusalem. And then they preached the gospel in the Judean and Sumerian countryside. And eventually now they've taken it to Rome. Rome was the imperial capital from which all roads extended, again like the spokes of a wheel, to the ends of the known world, and eventually to Texas. In the Gospel of Luke, he directs attention to Jerusalem, where Jesus suffers, dies, rises from the dead, and ascends In Acts, he focuses on Rome as the destination of Christ's gospel. 
From Rome, the good news reaches the entire world. Derek Thomas commented, There have been many memorable personal stories, referring to the book of Acts, of an Ethiopian eunuch on his way to Gaza, a Roman prison officer despairing of life, and a businesswoman in Philippi. There have been moments of great tension in the synagogues in the great cities of Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica, as well as in the temple in Jerusalem. There have been voyages that took Paul and others all over Asia Minor. Now the gospel has reached Rome. But Rome was the the center rather than the end of the earth. There uh, There is, therefore, a sense of incompleteness about Acts. Luke has finished his story, but the story has not finished. There is an unwritten to be continued in the progress of the gospel. So I like that. I think that really drives this point home. Luke has finished his story but the story has not finished. Luke seems to have deliberately left the work in an unfinished state because the kingdom is not yet finished. We still pray the petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. The final word in the Greek text here in Acts is an adverb that is that says, uh, no one forbidding or that he preached the gospel unhindered. Now, this is interesting. Given Paul's circumstances, remember he's under house arrest, he's in chains. So Paul may be hindered, but the gospel is not hindered. The purpose of God will transcend and it will succeed no matter what the obstacles. Jesus was crucified. That didn't stop it. Paul is in chains, imprisoned, and that's not going to stop it. Precisely the same confidence gripped Martin Luther in his famous hymn that we just sang in our opening hymn this morning, A Mighty Fortress. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. But the real hero of the whole book is Jesus who was enthroned as the world's Lord at the beginning and is now proclaimed at the end openly and unhindered. That is, with all boldness and with nobody stopping him. The reformation of the world had begun, and it continues today, one heart at a time. N.T. Wright says, Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah and Lord, through his servants, through their journeys and their trials, through their pains and their puzzles and their sufferings and their shipwrecks, still reaching out into the future, out beyond Rome and the first century, out across the tracks of time and geography, still confronting men, women and children, rulers, disabled people, local authorities, artisans, governors of islands, wandering tent makers, philosophers in the marketplace, and young men nodding off in windowsills, Luke has brought them all before us in a dazzling display both of writing and of theology, drawing us in, reminding us once more that this is a drama in which we ourselves have been called to belong to the cast. The journey is ours, the trials and the vindication 
vocations are ours. The sovereign presence of Jesus is ours. The story is ours to pick up and carry on. Luke's writing, like Paul's journey, has reached its end. But in his end is our beginning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story that you have preserved, that the Holy Spirit inspired, that Luke recorded, and you delivered to us. We thank you for because it's true. We thank you because it gives us great hope and courage and promise and expectation. Lord, forgive us when we doubt and fear and tremble rather than stand firm because you have demonstrated yourself faithful through all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of situations that seemed hopeless, but they were not because indeed we are full of hope in Christ. Help us to remember that Jesus sits at the right hand of your throne and is still active and at work through his church by way of the Holy Spirit, that we are part of that church, part of his body, we, his hands, his feet. Help us, Lord, to go out, indeed, to the uttermost parts of the earth, wherever you have put us, in our locality, in our local area, in, in the surrounding area, and wherever we may go, may we take Christ with us and show the world the good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been many reformations, but they are all part of the great or the grand reformation of the whole world that began at the resurrection and at Pentecost. You might recall in the time of King Josiah that a reformation began. The word had been lost and now it had been found. In his day, Israel had forgotten God and his word for a hundred years. Just as there was a new king in Egypt who knew not Joseph, according to Exodus 1, verse 8. And after Joshua's death, we read, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. In a generation, the Lord can be forgotten. So I'm going to get just a comment. I I saw something about this recently. So for everybody who now perhaps grew up in church, but now takes church casually, comes occasionally, uh, other things are far more important. And their kids come here and there, special occasion. The next generation, their kids won't go at all. We're already seeing that. It takes, it doesn't take very long for the Lord to be completely forgotten. But the good news is that in a generation, He can be remembered. True Reformation always begins by returning to the Lord and His Word. Josiah, we read in 2 Kings 22 2, did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You can change the next several generations. We are in desperate need of doing the same as Josiah. We are in need of such a reformation in our day. 
Since sin is an ancient thing, this need of reformation is an ancient thing as well. Corruption destroys and kills even the loveliest of things. And so in God in his great mercy and, and so God in his great mercy and grace brought forth a plan of redemption to save us, to rescue us. And so the story of the church in the Old Testament and the New Testament and throughout church history has been one of reformation. Reformation of individuals, of churches, of societies, indeed, of the world. Moreover, we sit here today as incontrovertible proof that ideas have consequences. Today we mark a moment in history, 506 years ago, when a movement that would come to be known as the Protestant Reformation was launched, not really by men, but by God, It seemed to begin unexpectedly and powerfully, but the Spirit of God had been working in many places prior to this moment. And as a result, the world has never been the same since. And as we come to the table, I want to do that and close here with a quote from Calvin in a letter that he wrote to King Francis I. Just a statement here. He said, Nothing is more consistent with faith than to acknowledge ourselves naked of all virtue, that we may be clothed by God, empty of all good, that we may be filled by Him, lame that we may be guided, weak that we may be supported by Him, to divest ourselves of all ground of glorying, that He alone may be eminently glorious, and that we May glory in him. Amen. Father, we thank you for the privilege of your calling us to worship, to come together as your people, as the body of Christ, to receive the gift of your spirit, the feeding of your word, and the encouragement of the fellowship of the saints. Send us out now into the world that we might show the world the love of Jesus because we love one another and because we love your word and because we love our families and one another. So, Lord, give us that grace and use us to spread the gospel to the ends of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Amen.